The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ron Schmelzer. And wow, here we are at the doorway 2024. For those of you who thought they could predict where 2023 went, well, <laughs> that's amazing if you could. But, you know, we would like to take a look and say, hey, we know kind of where 23 has been. So maybe we can learn from that and look to where we think 2024 might go. Exactly. And we always enjoy these podcasts because, you know, we we will link to our podcast where we reflected back on 2023 and kind of, you know, the big trends that we saw and where AI was. Uh, I mean, you know, it's crazy to think generative AI really came about in only 2023 and all the things that we've done with it so far. But so we wanted to spend some time looking ahead as well and see, you know, where where we think things are going in 2024. So obviously, if generative AI was big in 2023, we don't think it's going anywhere. We think it's going to continue to be, uh, you know, huge and impactful and make lots of news. And we also think it's going to start getting embedded in everything oh, yeah. because we've seen it, you know, we've seen it be used now. Uh, people, it's at their fingertips. They are, you know, getting excited by it. But I mean, where do you think it's going to go? I don't know, Ron, where do you think it's going to go? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting because it's so easy now to embed generative AI into any application. You know, maybe in the early part of 2023, you had to go to, say, OpenAI's ChatGPT, or you had to open up Bard, or you had to open up maybe at, for a while it was the Bing thing, and you had to type something in there. But now we're starting to see generative AI literally embedded in every product, and it should not be surprising to find AI in places maybe that you would expect, perhaps in your spreadsheet and your Word document. Yeah, that's where you can expect it to be. But I think we're even going to find in places where we don't expect it to be and maybe where it shouldn't be. Maybe there'll be a toaster where you can have it draw a picture on toast with generative AI. And the next thing you know, we have a generative AI toaster or a generative AI alarm clock or a generative AI anything where the alarm clock, instead of just telling you what time, maybe it'll tell you a story or maybe it'll say something to you, created, maybe instead of just giving you the news, perhaps it'll actually write a story for you about the news. And that's interesting, but but I, I don't know. What do you think, Kathleen? There, there could be some pluses and minuses to that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think one of the plus sides is we've talked for a long time about augmented intelligence, where you're not replacing the human, but helping them do their job or a task or live life better. And that's here, generative AI, we've seen that. But on the negative side, especially if we are embedding it in everything, sometimes people get so excited they want to embed it in things where it doesn't always necessarily make sense. Like, yeah, on one hand, okay, it's nice to have a, a toaster that can, I don't know, create art on my toast or something like that. But then at the same time, it's like, I just sometimes really like the thing to be what it is, right? Like, let me press a little lever, let me get my toast, and it pops out. So on the downside to this, the problems with generative AI that we have, such as hallucinations, bias, we know that there's a lot of bias in AI. Also, there's been copyright problems and issues that have been coming up, and then just challenges with 
the truth and with reality. You know, these systems are confidently wrong sometimes, and they will tell you things that are not necessarily true. These are only going to continue to get worse. And, you know, Ron and I have talked too about, well, what's going to be real anymore? Because sometimes if you, you know, ask one of these large language models to give you facts of the day or, uh, you know, something, it will come back with wrong information. We had brought up in one of our previous podcasts about how a lawyer went to look and cite previous cases and it made up cases. Who knows? Maybe he was rushing. He was using this as, you know, that augmented intelligence tool. He didn't go back and do his due diligence to research if those were actual cases or not. And then he got in trouble. How is that going to perpetuate news? Like, yeah, okay, that's something that you can easily check. But what about other things where maybe it wasn't the case and now people think that it is? And these this fake news, this, you know, fake reality is is now reality. Yeah, this is actually an issue even for us. You know, we were pulling together some data points on venture capital rounds. And, you know, our uh, large language models should be really good at summarizing data. Hey, they're trained on internet data. They're trained on internet text. It's really easy to summarize that. And you'd think, well, why am I even using a generative solution for this? Well, because it's supposed to save me time. I mean, that was the whole idea. It's like, well, instead of me going out and doing searches and compiling things together into a document or a spreadsheet, hey, I could just ask a generative AI system like BARD or like GPT, hey, go out, find these facts and summarize it for me. The problem is, is that some of it was wrong and you wouldn't know that because as Kathleen mentioned, it was confidently wrong. So like, well, wait a second, that fund round wasn't actually like a billion and a half. It was actually 500 million. But if I have to go in and check all the data points, what benefit am I actually getting from generative AI? I'm actually spending just as much time checking my generative AI solution than if I had just done the work to begin with. So this will be another <laughs> thing. This will be a thing we come back to, right, Kathleen? We're like, well, maybe generative AI, maybe we're going to have a little bit of a, maybe maybe it won't be as good as we had thought. Exactly. And on one hand, we say, you know, technology is supposed to be a tool, right, that helps us. And we're bullish on augmented intelligence. I mean, we've been talking about it for years. I, I am really excited about it. Probably uh, as bullish as I was about autonomous vehicles. <laughs> but this actually is here. Mm -hmm. Um but at the same time, you know, we always say, yeah, don't let it replace your brain. We always talk about that one clip from the office where Michael Scott and Dwight are driving and the GPS tells Michael to turn and, and Michael literally turns and he turns into a lake and Dwight's like, what are you doing? And it's like, right, like still like use your brain, like don't let this replace common sense. And I think that as people become, I mean, we're busy, right? We're rushed. We're doing more maybe with less resources. So I, I get it. And there's a lot of reasons why you want to do it. But you can't let this kind of replace common sense and replace that, you know, critical thinking skills that we say. Yeah. So what, let's look ahead to 2024. And as generative AI becomes part of everything, if we make this, I guess, assumption here, we say, look, the trend seems to say that generative AI will become in every will be in everything. That means it'll be accessible to everybody, anyone. They don't have to be a developer. Clearly they're not. People just random people are using it. But I think sort of the the flip side is that the other applications of AI, the things that are not generative AI, like the predictive maintenance or the pattern anomaly detection or recognition systems. Hey, remember when computer vision was hot? You know, you know, 
even though you can do some of those things now with generative AI, you can actually do a lot of those applications just with prompt engineering. But some of the other trickier ones are not accessible to anyone. You still do need skills in data science or in data preparation, data engineering, and they're not as easy. And I think the result is that we're saying, despite, we talked about this when we were looking at the trends of 2023, we're like, AI is moving fast, but it's also moving slow because generative AI is moving fast, but the other applications of AI are still very sluggish. And enterprise AI adoption outside of generative AI, like outside of the just using generative AI or building generative AI, that stuff will still remain sluggish, I think, even in 2024. And one of our points is that we say people are going to become impatient. They're going to say, why is it taking you so long to build this AI solution when I can do something right now with my generative AI thing in like a minute or two, or maybe I need to play with it, but I'm talking hours. I'm not talking months. And I think this is kind of, I think this is the big theme, I think, for us that we're looking at for 2024 is this collision from people who are not AI experts, who have played with generative AI, who are going to come to expect more, maybe that is possible, from other AI solutions. Yeah, and so that's, that's something that we, you know, we also think about, because again, this is kind of you know, looking ahead and what to expect in 2024 and where we think AI is going to go. The AI marketplace, we've talked about this before in previous podcasts, but it still is full of, you know, these fakers and these charlatans. So the average enterprise or government buyer, you know, think about somebody that's being told, okay, you need to to go off and, and buy some solution. It still is hard to separate sort of these, you know, good, useful tools with maybe these these bad or not useful tools, especially for whatever your problem area is. And we always say, you know, you need to understand what problem you're trying to solve and then make sure that AI is the right solution. So sometimes people are told, well, you know, they don't even know what's good or bad. They don't even really know maybe what problem it is that they're trying to solve because they've just been told from upper management, hey, you have to go do something. We're still seeing this even years later. And then also, unfortunately, you know, it just is the way that people are this X shop, whatever that is, Microsoft, Google, you pick the X and they have to buy from that vendor and that solution provider rather than buying the actual best solution for their problem. So we still see this as an issue. And even though generative AI, you know, really has come out and, you know, hit the world by storm, and, and we've seen a lot of these use cases, like Ron said, there's many patterns of AI. And if you really do need to solve a different pattern of AI that generative AI can't help with, we're still seeing some some challenges there. Yeah. And because generative AI is just so easy to like add stuff, I could see people sprinkling a little bit of generative AI on their otherwise really bad or crappy solution and saying, oh, it's AI now. And because people have a hard time you know, doing the research, they're going to not be able to pick it out. So I think there's going to be a lot of um, crash and burn failures, honestly, in 2024. And that may actually turn people off of AI, which is really kind of sad because there is a lot of power to it. So I don't know, Kathleen, uh, we have been seeing some other big trends. We talked about this in 2023. Oh, boy, the lawmakers and the regulators, they're also taking a closer look at AI. And it uh, looks like things are going to get a little tougher and tighter in 2024. Exactly. You know, 2023 was the year of the AI kind of laws coming to fruition. We've had 
some generative AI laws. We've also in Europe, the European Union, the EU AI Act uh, is has been big. If, if you're not familiar with that, I will link to our uh, 2023 podcast and we encourage you to check that out to learn more. But this really, you know, 2024 is going to be the year that other governments beyond just the European Union are going to need to act on AI. And it's the thing about generative AI is it's going to be almost impossible to really ban the use of generative AI. I know that there's been different, you know, governments and companies that are saying and and different agencies that say, wait, hold on, let's just see how this can be used. Maybe you can't use it in every case, but you can use it in these cases. But to have just a full outright ban is going to be pretty hard, especially if it's going to be put into just about everything that we use. We're going to really have to be rethinking our use of generative AI and say, all right, how is this practically going to be impacted rather than just having some outright ban? It's going to force people to really think about that. Um, But there's some other stuff. It's 2024. It's an election year. So what do you think that's going to do? Yeah, and I, I think just even beyond the the fact that we're not – and the thing about the EU AI Act and the other things that are coming in the U.S. Congress, no one's looking to ban generative AI. However, they're trying to put some restrictions on it, and they're trying to put some requirements. The problem is, is that – in doing so, what's going to end up happening, our prediction, we can already see this, is that the generative AI solutions that we, that we are going to see are going to get worse. They're going to get watered down because they're going to try to comply with these other laws. So they're going to try to be like, well, I need to increase my moderate my moderation. So you might see things like, why is it all of a sudden refusing to respond to this prompt? Oh, because of some you know, possible EU AI Act thing or this or that. Or maybe it's just not giving me good as good results. And I think this is going to be interesting because I think this is going to connect to another trend that we're going to talk about later, how the fact that generative AI solutions, especially the big ones, the big hosted ones, are going to face all these pressures may force us to do other things. And as Kathleen mentioned, hey, we're in an election year here in the U.S. And I, I think it would be very uh, well expected to expect that there's going to be lots and lots of use of generative AI in so many different forms to either drive fake news, like somebody said something when they didn't, or a picture that didn't happen, or a summarization that's false, or some fake social media content that's being generated, website content. It's, it's, it's so easy. Again, it's so easy that I think we should expect it. And what's going to happen is that I think this is going to just further the calls for more regulation. Now, some of you might be listening like, why are you guys talking about generative AI all the time, all the time? There's so much AI that's not. And you're right. There's so much AI that has nothing to do with generative AI, whether it's image recognition, basic uses of of uh, pattern and anomaly detection, all that, all the patterns of AI that we talk about. However, because there's so much generative AI, and because it will literally be in the hands of anybody, that will be the focus. That whether or not it deserves to be the focus, that is going to be the focus. And I think people are going to have a hard time around issues of trust. People are going to talk about trustworthy AI a lot. So we're going to be spending a lot of our time, especially for you project managers, trying to pull together projects. How do you make sure that your projects stay on the right side of uh, of trustworthiness? So I don't know, Kathleen, maybe the feeling on AI has shifted a little bit, right? You know, maybe from just overwhelming, euphoric, everything is awesome. Uh, things have changed a little bit. Yeah, I, you know, I think that as people start to use AI more, feel that it's a part of their daily lives, and also can see some of those issues. You know, we talk about, yeah, oh my God, this is an election year. What's going to happen? 
how many fake news and, you know, disinformation, misinformation is going to be out there. And once people believe it, it's really hard to get them to not believe it. And that's also another another thing. So, you know, and unfortunately, some, you know, credible news sources can get it wrong. And when they do, then what does that do? It really does erode trust. So that is going to be something that is top of mind. The general feeling of AI has shifted from this positive and enthusiastic feeling, you know, what can we do with it? Even with generative AI, I mean, people are really excited about it. But think about how it's changed throughout 2023 and how it's going to continue to change into 2024, where you know, so awesome. Oh my God, I can't believe it can do all this stuff. It's going to help me write all this content. It's going to help me generate all these images. And then as you actually get into using it and it continues to change literally from day to day, and it can be good one day and then give you not great results the next day. Also, as different laws and regulations come into play, how it's going to be changing, how it's going to comply with that. Maybe it's not going to be as as beneficial as it was, you know, in previous uh, models. What's going to happen? We found that it's shifted from this positive, enthusiastic attitude to more of a neutral and cautious attitude. That's also because people are seeing how the technology is actually being used. And so, of course, it's not just great use cases. It can also be some malicious use cases. You can really understand some of the nuances to it. And again, trust. Trustworthy AI, big, big theme. So, you know, that's that's what we're seeing, and that's a trend that's going to, we think, likely continue into 2024. And with the election, oh, my God, I don't even want to know what's going to happen with all the news. <laughs> don't forget the Olympics, too. <laughs> oh, and my God. And it's a leap year. I mean, could we be, you know, making up fake sports in the Olympics? Maybe That's if people awesome. believe it. I know video it could generate. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, Olympics. So I, I think a lot of this stuff is pushing, as I said, like there's some trends that are pushing in a certain way. And we talked a little bit about this in our 2023 look back where we said there's an increasing amount of open source AI solutions. Now, when we talk about open source, we're not talking about the tools or the technology that's used to build the AI solutions. There are, are those are actually already open source. You know, most of that's Python, you know, and things like that that are have been open source since the beginnings of especially this latest wave of AI. What we're talking about here are the actual language models that are open source. And by open source, that means that anybody can access them. They can use them on their own infrastructure. Maybe they even have a visibility into the training data, into the weights, into the models, the, uh, sorry, the all the uh, parameters that are in there so they can even see the actual network itself and these foundation models. And over the past few months, there has just been this explosion, this blossoming of open source AI. And the interesting thing, this is this may be a bit of a, of a, a bolder trend, maybe one that's not so obvious, but we think open source language models might start to take over from these closed ones. By these closed ones, I mean the ones that you need to have access to, like an account, like on OpenAI's ChatGPT or BARD or things like that. The open source ones like Mistral and you know other ones from, from uh, Llama and all these ones where you can go and download the model, they will become more popular for a few reasons. One, we just said that generative AI was going to become embedded in everything. It's easier to embed something when you don't have to pay for it on a per API call. You may have to run the infrastructure yourself, et cetera, et cetera, but it's a lot easier to embed an open source model, especially one that has a license that says you can embed it, right? The number two thing is that if the generative AI solutions that are being 
that people are paying attention to, BARD and, and ChatGPT, are going to be the focus of regulation, that their regulators are going to look at them and say, are you generating biased things? Are you moderating the results? Are you making sure that people aren't getting back things that they're not supposed to? They're going to start getting worse and worse, as we just said. Open source AI models, they depend on you to do all of that stuff which means that there's actually a greater amount of freedom, if you will, which is both good and bad, freedom to do the things you want, but also freedom for bad people to do bad things. So uh, I don't know. It's looking like oh, people start going to look at these open source models and say they're kind of working well. Uh, they don't have some of the same limitations that's trained on the, literally the same data. I mean, it's the internet data yeah, <laughs> so, you know, or image data that's easily accessible. So I don't know. It's it's looking. I think we're going to start to see this shift away from these closed models. It's yeah, I, I and I think also, you know, some of these models are, uh, you know, these companies, OpenAI, they had a leadership shakeup. Right. Other people may not like some of the other companies that are producing these uh, models. So. Yeah, we we see open source as something that, you know, look to in 2024, see where the feeling moves to as well, especially as people are using these. And yeah, if it is going to be embedded in everything, then these open source models will be more attractive than the commercial models. Mostly, I I mean, from a feasibility standpoint Mm -hmm. as well, you know, you're just not going to be able to use those uh, commercial uh, generative AI. So yes, that is a trend that we see in 2024. We're obviously going to be keeping an eye on it and then maybe revisiting, you know, what does it mean for you? Yeah. I mean, even, even something we've, we've looked at it, you get more predict. If you have a model that you're running yourself that you update on a predictable schedule, then you get predictable results. If you're using someone else's model that they update like at 2 PM and all of a sudden what worked at 1 PM doesn't work at 2 PM, you're going to feel like you don't have any control over it. You're like, well, if I'm building this into my company's product or I'm, I'm depending on it, then yeah, you might, you might see open source like, well, at least I get a little more predictability. But there's a few other things here. We talk about some of these other trends. You know, we we keep talking about these perennial trends, these things we've been talking about literally since the beginning mm-hmm. of our Today podcast. And it's like autonomous vehicles. Oh, man. Is, is 2024 going to be finally the year that Elon Musk's prediction of a million vehicles with autonomous will be on the roads, which she said, I think was originally, what, 2020? I don't know. It, it, this is a long, this is long in the tooth, right? Yeah. And sometimes when you make these predictions, and this is why we don't always like it, is like you have to be kind of out there with your predictions. But then, of course, they're so out there that they're most likely not going to come true. And so then they're not really valuable or worth it. Autonomous vehicles, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I'm very uh, excited for them. I would one day love to not have to drive anymore and have vehicles drive me around. Also, I think that it's, you know, beneficial so that young people, elderly people with disabilities, we can all move around and not have to worry about driving and and being limited with that. But autonomous vehicles, you know, we talk about the autonomous pattern of AI. It really is the hardest pattern. The goal of that pattern is to fully remove the human from the loop. I mean, you got to be darn near perfect. And we just, there's a lot of issues with autonomous vehicles. And we have definitely seen that. So, I don't know if it is anywhere in our close future. And 
just looking at it, a lot of these car companies have also really been pulling back. Now they're focusing more on like electric vehicles or other things. We And we talked about how a lot of these autonomous vehicle companies actually have gone under. Yes, some have raised money. Yes, they're still out there. I'm not saying every single autonomous vehicle is, you know, company has gone under, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Well, I, I think what we could say for the trend uh, is that I don't think it's going to get, any, we don't see it getting any better. Let me put it that way. It doesn't seem like we're on the cusp of some major autonomous vehicle revolution in 2024. And I think we might actually see even more of a pullback. I mean, there's, yeah. the regulations are not getting any better. Uh, the technology hasn't really improved uh, really all that much, although I'm sure people who are listening to this podcast will disagree with half of what we're saying here. And if that's true, that's fantastic. But, uh, you know, from what we could see right now, I don't think we're going to see a major shift. We might be wrong and maybe we'll have to come back and say, oh, my goodness, there was a big step up and now autonomous vehicles are everywhere. But, hey, just looking at from our position and the data that we have, this is what mm-hmm. we see. Yeah. So uh, what about people, though? Because, uh, well, AI is is becoming everywhere. And uh, so does that mean that there's going to be like a ton of new jobs? And and for our listeners who are project managers, who are solution providers trying to run AI projects, what will what's relevant for them? Because the autonomous vehicle thing, that may not be so relevant. But like in terms of the people and positions that they're hiring, are things going to be changing? Maybe make maybe in an easier way for for these project managers in 2024. Yeah, you know, one thing that that we're predicting for 2024 is that prompt engineers are it's going to be a job, it's going to be a role that you hire for and it's going to be a skill set that you need. So, data scientists, they talk about, you know, is that the sexiest job of the 21st century? For a long time, I mean, data scientists, uh, you know, it was a new role. There weren't many out in the market. They were incredibly expensive and they were getting gobbled up by these large organizations that could pay tons of money to get them. And so for many organizations, they really they really couldn't afford data scientists. But now is that role going to be displaced by these other roles like prompt engineers? We talk about how generative AI is going to be, you know, used in in many more things. So are we going to now have prompt engineers? And then is the pay going to be nearly as high? And are we going to be able to have a lot more prompt engineers because the barrier to entry is going to be lower? You know, you just need to learn how to get good at prompts. You don't need to necessarily have all of the training and experience and education that these data scientists needed. And that's also why you couldn't just you know, pop out data scientists from some code academy because it's hard. But prompt engineers, you probably could. So I don't know. Are we going to see code code academies coming back with these prompt engineers and kind of having a resurgence with mm. uh, with getting a lot of them on the market? Mm, that's interesting. Got me thinking. Prompt academy. Mm, I'm sure. Right? There are, I'm sure yeah. there are there's just tons of people cashing in on that thing. I think so. <laughs> Uh, now, of course, we might be a little self-serving here, but I do believe that the role of project management will become more important. Now that it's just becoming so much easier to add AI capabilities, especially generative AI capabilities into your projects, it's no longer the barrier is not the the bottleneck is not the hiring bottleneck of data scientists or the long process of having to do all the procurement of the tools. All these tools are there available for you tomorrow, especially if we talk about open source stuff, which is available. So that means that the emphasis will be on knowing what you're doing and doing it the right way. 
So yeah, it's a little bit self-surfing. I think it's good because our audience are primarily folks who are trying to make AI work. So we believe that your roles as project managers and solution providers of different types with different titles will become in much higher demand because the idea will be to shorten the project lifecycle. We're talking about going from months to days, certainly from nobody wants to do anything more than months. So you really want to squeeze this down as fast as possible. The only people who can make that work are people who know how to run and manage AI projects successfully. Of course, we happen to have the industry's best practice for running AI projects, CPMAI, and we believe that those who are certified will be in the most demand. So definitely get certified. We'll talk about that. Go to aitoday.live slash CPMAI for more. But I think the areas of prompt engineering will be more distributed and more dispersed in the organization. It won't just be you know, part of that data science center of practice or the IT organization. Basically, if you're in marketing, you may need a prompt engineer. If you're in HR, you may need a prompt engineer. If you're in a support role or an administrative role, you may need someone because you're going to be working with generative AI tools or you're going to be building tools that embed generative AI capabilities. You may need to have that prompt engineering skill and or even some of that AI project management skill that we just talked about. So we do see a change in the marketplace towards driving down the cost and complexity of running AI projects. So there's all sorts of stuff like that. But yeah, it is more than just AI, right, In, in this whole mix. Yeah, you know, and we talk about automation as well. And so we say automation is not AI. It's incredibly useful, but it's just repeating um, repetitive tasks. And it was very hot for a while, especially RPA, robotic process automation. And we're not saying that it's, you know, not still useful and not still used because, yes, of course it is. And people had many different, uh, you know, use cases for it. You could have front office tasks, you could have back office tasks. Um, and we we really saw a tremendous growth, especially in the pandemic, with the use of automation, where people are like, uh, what do I do? We're all working from home. We still got to do all these processes. Oh, my God, how do we get it? So we we saw a lot of, you know, usefulness there. But the venture capital climate has drastically cooled on automation. It seems that there's, you know, a few big winners in the space and they really are are the winners and they're, you know, moving forward with both government and private sector and people are, you know, now feel comfortable using that solution and they're not really looking for other solutions. So the winners have have been picked, which is why I think the venture capital climate has drastically cooled on that. Um, and then also, you know, we've seen that remote workforces, these economic shifts, they've already pushed those that are interested in RPA. They've already seen the benefit. They've already started to apply it so that there's not going to be as many new use cases for it, new ways to be using it. We're not saying that it's still it's not going to be used, but we've just started to see that a lot of those use cases have been proven. People are doing it and and now they're looking for different solutions. Yeah, and, and we did talk a little bit about this on our 2023 look back where we said that the promise, one of the promises of RPA the the one of the good promises that was true was that it would automate all of these 
computer-based tasks that people were otherwise doing. There's no point in having a person cut and paste things out of a document and put it into a spreadsheet. I mean, like, that is making a human a robot. So the robotic process automation was all about taking the robot out of the person, and anything that they were doing robotically could be automated. People got that. But then there was, like, this weird subtext because the growth of RPA was happening at the same time as the growth in AI, and people said, oh, robot, that means intelligent. And people said, well, at first, the RPA were like, yeah, we're AI, wink, wink. Let's uh, let's take the venture capital money that's going to AI. We'll take that for what was otherwise actually kind of a boring thing, which is software desktop automation, right? Very useful, but not as sexy as AI. And what, what the justification was, which ended up being false, by the way, was that RPA is a gateway to AI. That they said that, well, if you can automate things, then the next step is to basically then do the intelligent things, like uh, you know, pro natural language processing and things like that. And for a while, we bought it. But it's very obvious now. I think we said this in 2023, but for those of you that didn't listen to that podcast, we'll repeat it here. It's very obvious that the real gateway to AI is generative AI because generative AI is truly in the hands of anybody to do almost anything. It's not the same thing as automation. You cannot use generative AI for automation. Let me make that a blanket statement. You cannot use Gen AI to automate anything, especially because it is so highly uh, probabilistic and will not give you the same results twice, which is the opposite of what you want with automation. However, people who want to do more with AI, it's easier for them to start with prompt engineering and generative AI than it is for them to start with RPA. And people said, well, RPA is no code. RPA just lets you record something, drag and drop. And I'm like, Th that is true. It's not code, but it feels kind of codey. You know, it kind of feels technical mm. still. Like the environments don't feel like uh, word processing, you know, generative AI, that is no code. I mean, that is so obviously no code. If anybody can go to, you know, ChatGPT or Bard or, you know, MidJourney or whatever and type something, get a result, and you literally, you don't have to do anything, that is as no code as no code can be. And it's, <laughs> yeah. The right, dream came you know, true. Yeah, you compare these two things, they're not, they're not at all at the same level, right? Exactly. So, you know, we always like to have in our podcasts the Cognolytica take and what this really means for you, especially as we are looking into a new year. Uh, you know, what does this mean? Well, generative AI is in the hands of everyone, and that can be an incredible opportunity, but it can also be a major pain and maybe an area of caution that you need to be looking out for especially if you are a project manager or you're you know at an organization being tasked with running an AI project you can go oh well okay what does this mean generative AI can we just do that well you still need to know how to run and manage AI projects and kind of what that means and how generative AI can fit into that you know step by step approach for running and managing AI projects you don't want to say, I don't need a plan. I'm just going to do it because we say it always costs money, you know, real time, money and resources. And you don't want to be burning that even if you're even if you're managing generative AI projects because things can go wrong. So, you know, on one hand, it's great because it's it gives you uh, maybe you know, a shortcut to AI project success. We say it's this citizen developer on steroids, which can be, you know, good and bad. It also can give you maybe heightened expectations of what AI can do. But we know that generative AI still does have 
some some pain points. It can hallucinate. It you know confidently gives you wrong answers, and also it might create because it's so fast and it's so immediate, right? I'm like, hey, generate an image for me, and it's like boop boop boop, and then you know a few seconds later it gives that to me, or it's like generate generate this marketing content for me, generate uh these you know. Uh, this article for me, generate all this stuff for me. And in a, a little bit of time, it will give you something. We might have reduced patience for these longer term AI solutions. So we talk, you know, this is just one one area and one aspect of AI, but we have seven patterns of AI with computer vision, for example. We're not going to be getting results nearly as fast as we do uh, with, you know, generative AI. Also, with different aspects of conversation, conversational pattern. We might not even be getting it back as fast. And autonomous pattern. I mean, we say that's the hardest pattern. That's to remove the human from the loop. You're definitely not going to have short-term gains there. That that really is a long-term to ROI and a long-term, uh, you know, general project. So maybe people are going to have reduced patience to that. And they're like, you kidding me? I don't want to be spending that long on AI. We're just, we're just going to do something different. Yeah. And I think, I think that's sort of the biggest thing for 2024 is it's is that we we have this rush it's like the su- sugar rush if you will of generative ai that really kicked the industry you know up a notch i have to say the conversation around ai was very different the beginning of 2023 than it was the beginning of 2022 when it actually felt like people were starting to lose their interest in some ways in ai and i think generative ai just sort of came in uh, as an application of AI and really got people thinking. But now, uh, even though it's only been about a year, year and a half at most, a reality is setting in, in both good ways and bad ways. People are saying, oh, this is really useful in this way. And people are saying, yeah, it's also really problematic in many of these ways. And I think you know, people also rushed to implement uh, generative AI without really spending a lot of time looking at those downsides. So people are going to have issues. There have already been problems with people getting sued. Uh, we will talk about some of those as we sort of in our uh, evolution here and for 2024 for AI today, we're going to spend more time really focusing, you know, on the, the tr- these aspects of making AI work if you're trying to run and manage AI projects either for yourself or on behalf of your company or on behalf of your clients. And I think this is part of looking at this reality because some of it has to do with the trustworthy aspects. So keeping your projects, you don't want to be in the headlines. You don't want to go to jail. You don't want to get fined, right? And on the other hand, it's like you want to see the successes without many of the pitfalls. And so I think I think even for us here, for our listeners here, if you've been listening to us for a while, thank you so much. We know we've been running AI today for all these years, you know, hitting our 400th episode in seven years. But, you know, I think, you know, for some of you, you're you're coming to AI today maybe for some basic knowledge and education as what is AI. Our glossary series has been one of our most popular. Most of you really, really enjoy it because we are giving you bite-sized information on that. Some of you may come for some of our interviews that we have done to hear from others who are experts in the field or perhaps some uh, use cases or our very popular you know, trustworthy AI series or our failure series and things like that. But I know that we want to really focus more, especially in 2024, as all this becomes more real and everything is really in the hands now of anybody who wants to do anything with AI. We want to focus more on the doers, the ones who are really trying to run and manage AI products today, not like possibly in the future, not out of personal interest, but really for those who are have that in their job role 
right, Kathleen? We really want to spend more time focusing on those folks who are trying to make AI reality. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that, uh, you know, some of our listeners have reached out or folks that find us other ways. And sometimes they struggle, you know, even with where to start, how to go about doing this. And that's where CPMAI comes in. And it's a step-by-step approach for running and managing AI projects. Folks that follow this approach are much more likely to have successful AI projects than those who don't. So if you're interested, we encourage you to, you know, check it out, get certified. It really, you'll join a community, a global community of CPMAI certified individuals who are moving their AI projects forward. So you can go to aitoday.live slash CPMAI to learn more. Also reach out to us as well. You can go to Cognolytica.com. You can find us both on LinkedIn or email us at info at Cognolytica.com. That's info at C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com. We love to hear from our listeners. We love to hear about what it is that you're doing, where you're struggling, different topics that you want us to address. The Glossary series came about because... A lot of these terms can be confusing, you know, and and people are like, well, I I struggle with this. I've heard people say this term, but I don't actually know how to apply it or I don't actually know what it really means. And so that's why we wanted to have our glossary series so we could really break it down, uh, provide a definition at an easy to understand level and then give you examples of what that is. And that's why I, I think our glossary series was so popular because it was so approachable. And that's what CPMAI is as well. It's a real approachable way. So you don't need to be an AI expert going into this. You don't even really need to know much about AI. Um, and and so we encourage you to definitely check that out if you're interested. Like I said, many of our listeners are CPMAI certified. So thank you. And you know we'd love to continue to grow that community. If you haven't subscribed to AI Today, I encourage you to subscribe so you can get notified of all of our upcoming episodes. As Ron mentioned, in 2024, we really are going to be focusing on the doers, focusing on some of those topics that you have wanted us to focus on, including, you know, how to do AI right. I mean, continue to talk about that. We had a generative AI series as well. We may be revisiting some of that in 2024, especially as we continue to see how the, you know, whole AI landscape evolves. Like this episode and want to hear more? With hundreds of episodes and over 3 million downloads, check out more AI Today podcasts at AIToday.live. Make sure to subscribe to AI Today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, or your favorite podcast platform. Want to dive deeper and get resources to drive your AI efforts further? We've put together a carefully curated collection of resources and tools, handcrafted for you, our listeners, to expand your knowledge, dive deeper into the world of AI, and provide you with the essential resources you need. Check it out at aitoday.live slash list. This sound recording and its contents are copyright by Cognolytica, all rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.